Okay, well, welcome to MatchCast, everyone. Today we are very excited to be joined by Jessica Best, and we are going to talk in some detail about email marketing. Jessica is the Director of Data-Driven Marketing at Barclay in Kansas City, and we are so, so excited to have her with us today. So thank you, Jessica, for joining us. Thanks so much for having me. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, absolutely. We met Jessica at Content Jam in Chicago a few weeks back. Content Jam is a content marketing conference put on by our mutual friends here in Chicago at Orbit Media Studios. Orbit is uh, wonderful people. They do great website design work. And through them, we met Jessica. Jessica gave a really, really packed with useful info masterclass on email marketing. And in sitting and learning from Jessica, we thought we just had to have you on to get really deep on a few points about email marketing. Yeah, I love it. I love that it was so useful for you. And that's my goal, man. Let's share some more goodies. For sure. So you showed in your content jam. A presentation. The first slide was defining email marketing, and you had a three-pointed triangle, which I guess is the only kind of triangle. <laughs> at one point, you had content. At another point, you had list. And at the third point, you had optimization. Email marketing can be such a deep and nuanced topic. So just want to provide that context. We'll put this graphic, if you don't mind, in the show notes. And going wherever this conversation takes us, but it seems like this is going to be mostly about optimization. So just an FYI to have a little context for the listeners is we'll, we'll talk mostly about email marketing optimization in these few minutes that we have together to learn from Jessica. So Jessica, at Matchnode, we do email marketing, yet sitting in your presentation, we learn so much and there's always so much to learn. And certainly you're a uh, really seem like an extreme expert on this particular subject. Our listeners are small and medium-sized business owners or other marketers, and I would guess the vast majority of them are probably doing their own email marketing. So uh, I certainly had the experience of having our eyes open to a few things you were mentioning. What, for our, our listeners, is the one thing that you see, still see that you know most email marketers are not doing? You know, it's a good point that you bring up that Email marketers come in all shapes and sizes, just like anything. And I think whether you've got a team of 10 and you've hired an agency or whether you've got you know, you and a part-time person proofing your emails for you, I really see some of those groups of people making the same mistakes. And the biggest one that comes to mind is the pre-header. And I know you remember this from the presentation because it sort of blows people's mind when they realize that they have control over it. But the pre-header is that piece of text that sits above the first image in your email that you can actually see from the inbox in most inboxes. It's a, a snippet or of text or whatever in the inbox. And Outlook has it, Android has it. iOS devices have two lines. So it's actually getting more real estate in the inbox than the subject line. So a lot of people don't optimize that. They, they kind of throw that away with, if you can't see this email, click here. Well, you don't realize that that's something that you can customize and improve on. And what I've seen really great email marketers do is find that dance between the subject line and the pre-header that really drives up open rates. And that's one of those small, simple things 
that right now a lot of people are sort of wasting that opportunity. So if you can figure out what plays on the subject line, but isn't necessary once you open the email, because remember that some of that small text up there gets skimmed right over once you're in the actual email, um, focus on how you can get sort of supplement or, or maybe give a boost to the subject line to really garner that that open. That's great. We'll, we'll definitely include a screenshot of that in the show notes so people can kind of see exactly what we're talking about. And you mentioned if you can't see this email, click here. That's sort of, is that sort of like the default that automatically kind of goes into your preheader if you don't do anything to optimize it? Bingo. And regardless of the email platform that you're using, most of them will make that editable and all of them could make that editable for you. So even if you're using a template, you might be using Constant Contact or MailChimp or AWeber, all of those as part of the template make that something that you can edit. Even when you get up into Exact Target or an Influence or a IBM or, or whatever is out there, all of that is malleable. And so, you know, just taking the time to find that default line of text and then add your additional sort of pre-header or that second subject line boost to the front of that, that can be that two-second ad that really drives up, hopefully, engagement. Wow, that's so great because we all have the experience on uh, today's world on our mobile devices of living in email. And a lot of ways, mobile devices are just so well-suited for email communication and seeing it in your inbox and you, everyone's used to the subject line and the from name. Exactly. And then there's this other text and yep. everybody reads it and, and it really gives you a sense of if you want to open that email or what might it say, what 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 does that email hold uh, beyond what we can see and just like our macro version of our inbox. You mentioned that the preheader and the subject line should interplay. Can you give a hypothetical or real world example of how to do that correctly or what you've seen work? Yeah. So one of my favorite examples and, and full disclosure, this is a client of mine, but they do such fun brand tone anyway. Uh, one of my favorite examples is Dairy Queen. They have a real sense. And this is another screenshot that we can add. I think I added that to the presentation and we can maybe add that to the podcast. Of course. Um, but they do a really nice job of interplay with those where the subject line sort of stands on its own, but that that pre-header works. And my favorite example actually just came out today, and that is an oops email. And the sort of unknown fact in the world is your oops email is almost always going to outperform your other emails because we're human and we all want to know what you messed up on. Yeah. So briefly, what's what's the oops email? I know what you mean, but... The oops email, meaning you sent something that shouldn't have gone. In this case, it was we sent a United States email that should have gone out to the full United States list. And there were about 6,000 people in there that were actually in Canada. It's usually uh -oh. a, a part of the list that we take out and we forgot to take it out. So now we owe those 6,000 people an oops. We got a little egg on our face. This is like the ultimate oops for U.S.-Canada relations too. Because That's right. almost every Canadian <laughs> I've met is such a nice person. But if you want, the only way they would like not be your friend is if you assume that they're an American. Right. And in this case, it's that one of the products isn't even available in Canada. So we've got two blizzards, by the way. Pumpkin pie blizzard is maybe the best thing you're ever going to have in your life. <laughs> uh, but they've got a pumpkin pie blizzard and an apple blizzard in the United States. And so the, the subject line was a nice play on apple versus pumpkin, which one's your favorite. And in Canada, they only have the pumpkin pie. Ooh. So we recently wrote a subject line that says, oops, it has to start with oops. Oops, subject lines have to start with oops. Uh, oops, Canada is team pumpkin pie blizzard all the way. Apple pie blizzard. And then this, the preheader says apple pie blizzard available in US locations only. Okay. So very clear play there between what you need to know. And if you don't even open the email, you already know what the oops was. 
So a really nice play there. Um, there. It's obviously a continuation of the sentence, but the subject line stands on its own. It keeps the brand tone through the entire subject line and preheader. Really nicely done there. Great. Well, we are not advocating for purposefully sending mistaken emails so you can oh, send gosh, the no. oops email, given that the oops emails are always opened at a higher rate than quote unquote normal emails. But that's a good example. Thank you for that. Yeah. Uh, so, so the preheader is really important and, and that was really eye-opening in your presentation to us. What, what's another example of something that sometimes you, you maybe have a client uh, or a would-be client, a prospect, and you start to look into what they're doing and, and you, you look at their emails and all of a sudden it just like jumps off the screen at you that maybe, you know, some more less experienced email marketers might not know or notice. Actually, when you asked the question, there were two things that came to mind. And the second one is I am floored. I still get so enraged in my inbox when people send me an email that is all image. This is a tactic from 2004, maybe. Yeah. And really designers that aren't used to email design, it's so easy to just design something up, save it as a JPEG, and then shove it into the email. And I understand the draw to do that. But unfortunately, up to 33% of our list could have images turned off. And that includes versions of Outlook and Android. So across desktop and mobile, we're sending a blank email to subscribers who asked to receive promotions from us unless they take two or sometimes more clicks to download images or to load those images. So the sort of, whoa, 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 we have a really great looking email, but even the text, like black text against white background was still an image instead of making it what we call true text, meaning just put text in the email the same way that you would type text on a web page or something like that. That's a big one. And, and unfortunately, that one has other repercussions. And this gets back to optimizing, not just content, but actually optimizing your email. The one big image emails, according to spam filters, don't say anything. So when you send your email through to an inbox, it has to pass the spam filter first. That spam filter is going to read your email to determine what it's about and whether they should deliver it. Unfortunately, if all of the words are baked into your images, your email is blank for that spam filter and it basically assumes that you're trying to hide something and kind of usually categorizes you as spam. Yes. So not only is the person you're hoping to send to not maybe seeing it, they may not even be receiving it in their inbox because the spam filter can't read what it's about. Okay. So those are two really big reasons why you do not want a single image and no text in your email. Let's unpack them one by one. Yeah. The first is that you might have images default off on your email. Can you give some of the big platforms, whether Android, iOS, Outlook, Gmail, are there any that have images off by default? Most installs of Outlook will have images off by default and early versions of Android will have images off by default. My favorite resource for this, because it sort of changes all the time, is actually Litmus, okay. L-I-T-M-U-S, like a litmus test. Uh, litmus.com actually keeps a running total of whether images are enabled or disabled by default on certain browsers. And if you just search litmus.com, they will totally have a great, they update it probably quarterly, which is why I almost don't want to say anything that's maybe not true, but they are a great resource for that. And the bottom line is if even one of your major inboxes is turning images off by default, it's not worth it. Gmail right. used to, and they load images now, which is great. iOS actually loads images by default on all devices. So we're always getting images and, and usually animated images work really well there too. But yeah, you don't want to play with the wrong game there. So so you say 33% you know, of your list may not see it because images are off. Yet a lot of emails, maybe the majority of emails 
in today's email marketing have some images in them. So what do you do? Do you do you take a look and create a second version of what it looks like for somebody that does have images off? Because you're going to have some percentage that aren't going to see your images. Great question. So the, the best trick here is to design your emails with a balance and design for those people who are going to have images turned off. You don't need a second version, and I wouldn't actually recommend spending a lot of time there. Certainly, you could send a text-only version, but that's really missing a lot of the fun stuff you can do in email. So right. instead, we talk about make sure you're doing things like using alternate text, which is the text that kind of goes behind an image when images are turned off. It doesn't work in all inboxes. Again, Litmus has a really great chart for that one. But at least it works in some inboxes, and you can even play with styling that in some cases, which is kind of fun. But the bigger thing is make sure that you have true text somewhere kind of above the fold. And I'm using air quotes on a podcast here, but <laughs> <laughs> above the fold on an email, meaning before someone has to scroll, they have to see some reason to scroll. And that means for those people with images turned off, make sure that you've got a really killer headline and some great body copy dra dragging them or driving them into the body of that email. Great. And, you know, on mobile, people are super happy to scroll, but right. you have to give them a reason to. That's right. And if they can't see anything, there's no reason to. Think about how fast you go through and triage your mobile inbox. Delete, 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 right? And, and that's what we see commonly is that mobile people report that, in general, they're triaging on mobile and maybe revisiting on desktop. But if it doesn't look on mobile, a large percentage of your audience is going to delete your email because it didn't look like something that they were interested in. Think about the power of that. When 55% of our audience is maybe opening on a mobile device, and it's different by every company, of course, but you know the average overall is that over half of email is opened on some sort of mobile device. Make sure that your mobile view, make sure that your email's sort of squished view looks like it's worth clicking on and opening as well. Yeah, and another reason to concentrate on that pre-header is just people just flip through, you know, whether it's Twitter or email, I just have this vision of myself standing on a bus, just flying through messages, you know, totally. and, and swiping to the right for the ones that I don't want. And they're just gone. Totally. Like you said, I'm, I'm doing that trimming and triaging on my mobile device and knowing that when I sit down at my desktop to write a response to those that merit it, uh, I've already cut out things that, you know, just aren't worth my time. Like they have no pre-header, aren't giving me a hint as to why I should be reading this. Bingo. And you are representative of the analytics in that case. Yeah, absolutely. Not always. I'm a sample <laughs> size of one in that story, but that's in this right. case it works. But that's what I say. It's, uh, you remember this, I'm sure from the presentation. I want analytics, not anecdotes. Sometimes anecdotes help display the story in a way that makes it relatable, but the numbers show that you and I, when we triage our mobile inboxes are the norm. Absolutely. So we're talking about not over-relying on images and not certainly not having one big image with all your text in it. And the first reason is, as we said, a lot of people could have images turned off. That's going to be a complete fail. And the second reason is that you may go into the junk folder because the email looks empty to spam filters. It kind of reminds me of the same thing in, in SEO. You don't want to put all of your text on your website Bingo. in these images because the search engines can't, can't index them. Totally. It's the same thing. It's the same concept. Yeah. And you mentioned Litmus as a great tool and we'll certainly link to that. How do I find out if I'm going into the spam filter and do I do this before I send the email, after I send the email? How do I figure this out? Yeah, no, great question. And this is probably where I spend, gosh, so much of my time between breaks at conferences or when I talk to people about this sort of Oh, foreign world of deliverability, which is a multi-syllabic way of saying pain in my butt. Uh, <laughs> deliverability meaning the art and science of getting through to the inbox. How do you know if you're getting through is the first step in fixing if you have a problem getting through to the inbox. 
There are two different types of tests. One is the pre-send and one is the post-send and two different companies actually offer both. Litmus, obviously I'm a fan of, of Litmus, offers the pre-send testing. They integrate with a lot of email platforms. So if you are using MailChimp or Constant Contact or some of these others, they're either integrating Litmus or they have something of their own. Sometimes it's called Inbox Doctor or something like that. That is actually meant to be before you send. The reason being, if you send on the default settings, if you send your email through a sample spam filter at Gmail or Yahoo or business to business inboxes like Outlook, if you send and it gets blocked, it's time to make some changes to your email, right? And you want to do that before you send because the point of that test is to give you a chance to correct that before you blast it out to your list and just kind of don't go anywhere. Makes sense. Yeah. Litmus is the pre-send and, and I would recommend sending that as often as you can. If you find that you've got kind of a good template going, maybe you don't have to send every time, but because the content of your email is sometimes a big reason why you would or would not get past a spam filter, Litmus's filtering system really helps mock that up for you and decide whether you're kind of on track or not for that type of thing. Got it. Uh, there's also the post send test. And these are my favorites because these are most likely to be a little bit more representative of what actually happened. And this is actually a company called return path that I work with most often. They give you a list of fake addresses. <laughs> They're real email addresses, but they don't belong to anybody. They belong to return path and you send to them at the same time as you send to your real list. Once you've sent it monitors where those emails landed for their faux inboxes. Ah. So of 500 inboxes, every we've got A through Z at AOL, A through Z at Gmail, A through Z at Yahoo. And they basically report our emails, your email showed up in our inboxes that start with A through our inboxes that start with T or something. You and V went to the spam folder and then we never saw the rest of it. So they're actually giving you information about where that email landed in their sort of seed address list. Interesting. Yeah, this is incredibly insightful. It's always meant to be a guide and not law because, for example, if I sent to you, Chris, and you open every time and click and you and I have had emails back and forth, the next email that I send to you, Gmail is going to put in the inbox because we have a relationship and because you've proven that you're interested. Right. So that notwithstanding, sort of on the default level, if nobody opened and nobody clicked, would this email arrive in the inbox, in the junk box, or nowhere? So it's a really good gauge. And they actually have something called panel data too. They've got a tool or an opt-in system where real subscribers that might be on your list have sort of opted in to give return path this information about where brand emails are landing in their real inboxes. And that's really good information because they are usually signing up for them, engaging with them or not. You know, that, that history is sort of there. Uh, and that's called panel data. That panel data only really works with bigger lists because if nobody on the panel is on your subscriber list, we just don't have the data. So for, for bigger senders, that's something that I really rely on. And for smaller senders, that seed list that Return Path uses is really the biggest success that we can find uh, correlating that to what we see our results. Because that, the other thing that you can look at, even if you don't pay for either of these services, is you can actually go into a sent email Find your average open rate. Let's say you got a 20% open rate. In most systems, you can break down your results by domain. Let's say at gmail.com, your gmail.com subscribers, the open rate was 20%. Hotmail.com subscribers or outlook.com subscribers, the open rate was 18%. And then yahoo.com subscribers, the open rate was 2% or 5%. Right. Something is obviously out of whack there. Yahoo likely sent us to another folder or maybe didn't deliver us at all. 
And that's sort of the dirty secret here is. Yeah. What is that? You kind of mentioned that earlier. You said go to the inbox, go to spam or somewhere else. Where? What's somewhere else? What do you mean? If it's not in the inbox, not in spam, where does it go? It can evaporate in space. This is my least favorite. Like, I feel like I tell people that Santa Claus doesn't exist when I say this. <laughs> in email, because the inbox's primary goal is to make their inbox user happy, they do not owe email marketers like us anything at all. So when we send to them, they decide either where to place you or, unfortunately, if to place you. So you could go to the inbox, you could go to the junk folder or Yahoo in particular, and I kind of pick on them, but they pick on us, so it's mutual. (laughs) Yahoo can just decide, you know, we're sending you to spam and people are marking you as spam. We really think you're spam. We're just not going to deliver the rest of your list. And that goes what we call missing. And return path numbers on this, like in the United States as a whole, all email marketers, about 73% of valid email marketing goes to the inbox. Another like six or 7% go to the spam folder. 20 plus percent goes missing. What? So a larger percentage is just not being delivered and just disappearing than goes to spam. Bingo. And you don't know it's happening unless you're doing testing like this. And like I said, at the very basic level, start looking at your domain level report and just see if you've got some things that look really out of whack. Sometimes you'll see actual zeros. So in the case of AOL, when AOL blocks you as spam, they just, I mean, 100% across the board, they just block you. So you'll see a 0% open rate, a 0% click-through rate, and a 100% bounce rate. That is being blocked as spam at AOL. So take that as a first step. (laughs) And if you see some red flags, it's time to start talking to either me or uh, return path directly. They do have a fee associated with it. So if you're just not sure, you can always tweet me and, and see if you're on the right track. Well, yeah, such is life. Yes, there, there is a business behind the, the deliverability quotient, yeah. Tools that provide value cost money. That's right. Okay, so that is super interesting. So your email could just go missing. You, you mentioned 73% usually gets through, or, or that's the standard or the normal, the average number, 6 or 7% to spam, 20% missing. So these numbers, you want to try to do a little bit better than those numbers, use those as a baseline. How, what do you do? Like, what if, what if you run one of these tests and you realize you're, you're at those numbers or below and you need to do better? What are some ways to improve deliverability apart from not having one big image, for example? What are some other things that you could do to improve, increase your deliverability? Because that's just money left on the table if you is not getting through. Bingo. And that's what I was going to sort of preface this with is, is the average. I think that most marketers that are paying attention to this can expect 95, 97, even 99% inbox placement. One quick aside, do not confuse the word delivered or delivery in your email service provider like Constant Contact or or MailChimp will give you a 99% delivered. All that means is that that did not hard bounce back to you. Uh, Hard bounce is when somebody's email address is bad. So out of 100, I had 99 of them delivered and one of them bounced back to me as a bad address. That is not the same thing here. <laughs> no. And it's, and it's a measurement from the email platform of, of they're like, we're sent, we sent it. Right. We didn't hear that it bounced back and is dead. So we sent it. It's not saying that it actually landed in the inbox, just saying that it was sent. Yeah, that's exactly right. And so that's why these other tools have sort of made, made a, a living because they're actually finding that just because you sent it doesn't mean it actually landed anywhere. And to your point, again, as a preface, the cost of deliverability monitoring or of the investment to fix your deliverability issues if you have them is by far justified if you understand that potentially 
really that 20, that 6% that's going to spam and that 20% that's going missing. So a quarter of your audience doesn't even have a chance to engage, doesn't have a chance to buy something from you. So if all other things being equal, you could get the same amount of money as you are from the 75%, add another 25% onto that. Let's say I sent to my list of 100 people and I'm only getting through to 75 of them, but 75 of those people purchased $75 worth of revenue. Think of adding 25 more dollars of revenue if only I got through to the other 25 people, right? I think that I'm sending to 100 people and that 100 people are spending $75, but really 75 people are spending $75. And if I invest in getting through to the other 25, I can see a 33% uptick in my revenue or in my response rate purely by getting through to people that I already thought I was sending to. So the, the use, the case is there, right? Like the case to invest in this is definitely there. And, and it starts with content. So how do we fix it? We found out that we're 70% in the inbox. Uh-oh, what's next? Uh, there are two sides to this. One of them is your content, and that's the easy side, <laughs> to be honest. And the other side is your reputation. And I'll start with content. Content like one big image, eh, that's out. Also, misspellings or errors in your code. If you're coding your own emails or if something's wrong with the way that you've been copying and pasting your emails, that can actually trigger spam filtering because it looks like it's a careless act that a marketer wouldn't do, but a spammer would. Unfortunately, if you are in the pharmaceutical industry or you sell Rolex watches, the content in your email can absolutely look spammy because it's a popular content item with spammers. And common things are marketing, percent off, dollar signs, free, 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 Cialis in all caps. <laughs> Don't put the word Cialis in your email. Don't put Cialis or Viagra in your email. Well, and what's funny is I actually had a client who worked in pharmaceuticals and we had to be very careful in how we crafted our emails because they actually did product testing for Cialis providers. I mean, they had to say <laughs> the word Cialis in their email. So we had to figure out sort of that balance of how do we talk about the product and feature the product and the images maybe, but maybe not have to say Cialis in all caps with a registration mark in the body of the email. Yeah. So is that a case where you could actually use the image to, to hide the word and, and improve your chance to get through? Yeah. You like that? That's we're, If the spammers are going to bring us down, we're going to use those tricks where we can. You just want to make sure that you have a balance of text in that email that does talk about the benefits or that has some sort of non-marketing, non-sales, non-pharma copy in it and just test it. Test it through litmus and see what it takes to balance that out and get through. A uh, quick tip there, if you can add at least 500 characters of text to your email, that balance of text to image becomes a little bit more moot. So okay. if you have at least 500 characters of text in your email, you've probably checked the box for how much you absolutely have to have before spam filters are just going to think that you're trying to scam them. Okay. So that's a rule to keep in mind generally is 500 characters of text. You're, you're generally going to be okay on, yeah. on the systems being able to read your emails and determine that it is not spam. Yeah. Bingo. Great. Well, Jessica, this has been so formative, fun, helpful, useful. I'm sure the listeners will agree. Thank you so much for joining us. Do you have anything else you'd like to mention? Oh, first, uh, follow Jessica on Twitter at best of Jess, B-E-S-T of J-E-S-S. -S. Awesome name, Jessica Best. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> That's got to be fun. It is. Anything else, Jessica, you would like to mention or include here for our listeners? You know, the last thing I'll say, and this is a bit of a soapbox of mine, all of your best intentions are great, but in email marketing, it starts with getting permission to send email to that list. And that goes back to almost everything we've talked about here, getting through to the inbox, 
getting high engagement rates, and really having an optimized list, make sure that you're sending what you promise and only sending to those people that you've asked. And that's sort of the biggest overarching rule that I can give you in email marketing. And if you want to talk to me about it, you can hit me up on Twitter. Uh, like Chris said, best of Jess on Twitter. I'd love to connect with people and, and learn more about what they're doing. Awesome. And, and that gets, you said co content and reputation, and that gets to reputation, which Bingo. is the subject of another podcast. Bingo. <laughs> well, thanks again for joining us, Jess. We really appreciate all the time, information, awesome energy. Thanks to our listeners, and we will talk to you all very soon.